On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. For the listening audience, you're normally going to hear Brent here, but now I think it's Barry White in the in the studio. Brent, what's going on over there? <laughs> well, I feel fantastic, Eric, but you know, sometimes you just wear a body part out, and the, in this case, it is my voice. There's been a lot of talking over the last week, week and a half or so. And I feel a heck of a lot better than I sound. But uh, I apologize to anyone that has to listen to this deep, very uh, unflattering baritone. But it's oh, what I'm on. bringing to the game today. Oh, I, I kind of like it. <laughs> it's kind of right, go. smooth. You got that late night DJ <laughs> feel to you. So Exactly. All right, Brent, you, you've got a guest on the show. Who did you bring on the show today? I have Jeff Hudson Searle. And I'm really excited about this because uh, it was an introduction from a mutual friend of ours. And Jeff, I don't even know where to start with you because you've done you've had so many versions and iterations of your life, I would tell me if I'm wrong here, but I would basically say that this stage in the game, you're really an advisor. You're an outside advisor to very growthy, growth-faced companies. And you've done that around the world. And you've also authored five books with a sixth book coming out. Um, what can you, I'll, you can probably introduce yourself better because because what you've done is so diverse. So I'm going to turn this over to you and, and let you <laughs> tell the listening audience who you are and what you've done. Brent, look, it's an absolute pleasure to be here today and obviously to share with you some some thoughts and opinions. Yeah, I'm a 30-year international business executive. Um, I've worked in over 120 countries around the world. Um, I've had a very successful banking C-suite career, and I'm also a digital non-executive director and chairman of the Remco Committee for one company and NXD for another global metaverse company as well, which I sit on the board of directors for. You know, you touched on the book theme. I guess from that point of view, I do enjoy thought leadership as well. I don't have a tremendous amount of time uh, to do the thought leadership that I would like to do. But yeah, I've authored five books, very proud author of five books. You know, there's always a purpose behind writing. And, and I am incredibly excited, obviously, about the new book, which is The Trust Paradigm uh, that I'm co-authoring uh, with Mark Herbert. So, you know, I think there's no bigger subject in the world than we have today. Um, but hugely excited about the subject matter and so yeah i'm i I add to my cv author in addition to that uh but i would like to say this is my uh, my sixth last and final book um (laughs) i don't know if i believe (laughs) it it won't stop me it won't stop me from writing and it won't stop me from carrying on you know doing the articles that i love doing um you know and it's been it's been a privilege because you know we've you know, I've been picked up, obviously, with national mainline mainstream media, you know, the Sunday Times, uh, European CEO, Thrive Global, and uh, sort of, you know, a lot of the Huffington Post and a lot of the big, um, big named uh, sort of media and publication houses, um, obviously, have picked up on some of my work, which is always gratifying. Uh, but, I, but for me, it's about the purpose. It's about the underlying message that we need to get out to societal. So from where I'm where I'm standing right now, you know, I, I believe very strongly that I have a job to do here on the earth plane. And that job is very much to convey to the minds of the target audiences, to the people that I can support and help through experiences. I mean, I think we we all can can say that we are a direct reflection of the experiences that we endure in life. And what I've tried to do is publicize that and and to support and help others, you know, in the same way. Well, when I first reached out to you, actually, I wanted to discuss ESG. And that was originally <laughs> why this connection was made. And then as we start talking, I guess about a week and a half or so ago, we dove into your new book. And if there's one thing that to me I find really concerning with society at large is People need to have faith in institutions, whether they're government institutions, medical institutions, corporate institutions, their family, all of these big pillars that hold people up. I've never, I'm 49, so it's not like I've been here for that long, but never in my life have I been living through an era or a period of time where the shake or the, the, the trust rather in those institutions 
is shaken to the core like it is right now. And we began talking about your book. So I, do you want to talk about first what caused you to pick this up as a topic? Because you started writing this obviously a few years ago, so you were way ahead of this curve. Yeah, what? if you're okay, I'd like to continue with your you know, your your sentiments here because yeah. look, I, I share everything you've said, right? So number one, trust is not a new subject. Trust is an act of behavior. If we go back in history, 30 years ago, when I was in the bank, I was at Citibank, I was an officer, an executive in Citibank 30 years ago. Uh, look, trust was still a big issue, but the issue then was on actions and behavior. That's You measured somebody's accountability, responsibility, and ability to lead others and execute based on the action because you didn't have the internet then. You didn't have the 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 ex, the sort of explosion of data and information that we have here today and the problem what we've got we've also got is the internet now very interesting quote which was actually from my last book which was a bestseller which was purposeful discussions there's a great there's a great quote here by an international judge i'm not sure if you're fa familiar with anthony carmen arnona where he said Social media websites are no longer performing an envisaged function of creating a positive communication link among friends, family, and professionals. It is a veritable battleground where insults fly from the human quiver, damaging lives, destroying self-esteem, and person's sense of self-worth. Look, there's never, ever anything that's far, uh, that's more truer than that statement, because, you know, like one of my colleagues said, can you please tell me why we can't trust one another and speak human to human today? But technology, technology solves a lot of problems. And it was Tom Peters that actually said, trust is the issue of the decade, not technology. AI, machine learning, you know, we, we are constantly battling with non-compassion, lack of the right information, lack of decision-making processes being made. Before all of this, you know, McKinsey, PwC, doesn't matter who you talk to on the issue of trust, and more importantly, trusted-based leadership, which I think is actually one of the biggest issues, you know, in conjunct with, with trust. Their reports are, are never changing, and they need to change because... 84% of global CEOs around the world have got to be able to lead with true accountability and responsibility for others. That means inclusion. That means diversity and equality. I, we don't, you, you can't hear, I don't have time. The chief purpose officer, which PwC, by the way, was the first um, global institution worldwide employed a cpo for the same reason that purpose is an incredibly important part of what an organization stands for and we went through that era with covid i don't really want to talk about covid but covid19 was an event you know let's look at events we've had events through history we've had Black Friday, we've had recessions, we've had double dips of 2008, 2009, we've had SARS, we've had Ebola, um, we've had earthquake disasters, we've had war, geopolitical and otherwise. But, but we've had events. And never, what surprised me more than ever wasn't just the leadership stars, but being, a, being an executive board director, you've got a question that where were the, where was the planning? in global business and institutions when it came to COVID-19? Where was the empathy? Where was the compassion? Where was our people? Because I've always said that with trust, there is a currency. There is a, not, not a financial currency. I'm talking about people capital, people assets within an organization that have a currency. Now, if you gave me a PL spreadsheet i would love to be able to put people millions of dollars millions of dollars millions of dollars because you cannot coexist in an organization without your people you mentioned a word though uh, accountability correct and i think that really going back to me anyway at least going back to the financial crisis 
this is a majorly disruptive event that occurred in the entire global economy. Yeah. There was no real accountability. You look at uh, what's occurred here in the last year, year and a half or so, a couple of years with COVID. There's been no accountability. And I think that one of the reasons that this trust has been diminished in large institutions is because your average person out there has said, wait a second, at the very top, whether it's corporate government or in governments, there is no account- accountability for bad decisions where at lower levels, there really is. I mean, if, if the, you know, the average person doesn't show up to work on time, he's going to get fired, but they're not seeing that level of accountability occur uh, in, in, if you want to say the elites, whether it's in government or, or, or in corporations, what are, what's your thoughts on that lack of accountability? Okay. Lack of accountability. I've always believed as a leader, an executive, that it's a privilege and an honor to lead others. You're influencing people's lives. It's not just a career that you're managing performance on, and you're not just a number within a corporation. Maybe my view of leadership and the world is different to others, but I care about my people. I've always cared. I share with my people. I want people to learn, develop, and grow. We are living, no question, in an you know an increasingly complex environment globally and you're quite right we've been through a lot disruption has a great ability to uncover lots of uncertainty but also the flaws and the cracks in people leadership financial models and financial management as we all know what we've seen is 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 i believe that covid19 accelerated change by in one year probably by seven to eight years in terms of behavior of others and there are very few people in a leadership position that have an an inner ability to lead others because they're like we've done this for 20 years we're going to continue doing the same those companies now are going towards the wall because they are they do not have darwinism i.e they don't have the ability to adapt and change and you know this famous saying, it's not the strongest of species that survive, but it's the one that's more adaptable to change. We, you know, COVID-19 was Darwinism at its absolute best and its highest level. But nobody really wanted to listen because they believe they just needed to do more of the same. What you didn't realize is that we're in a disruptive environment which creates a different kind of leader that's going to take you through chartered waters and out the other side with significant transformation and change to others. Have now, you seen, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I have a question for sure. you. Have you seen someone on the public stage globally that has been that leader? For me? Yes. Yes, is the answer to that. You know, and she was, she is incredible, right? When she left Apple and she turned up at Burberry, she was that person. Look, the company, some of the companies that I deal with personally in my consultancy business, which is separated away from my executive career, um, board career, we see people that really do not have an inability to lead. They don't have the credentials. They hit capacity and they need strong help. Ego gets in the way, and I, I think, you know, I've, I did a TV interview on this, which is on the emotional wake of transformation. You may like the title, but do you have the executive skills to actually execute real value to the business and take business to the next level? You know, you're very, Brent, I'm sure you're very familiar with Horizon 1, Horizon 2, Horizon 3. Horizon 1, okay, but Horizon 2 and 3 does mean, in in many instances, change in people. The COVID-19 event wasn't Horizon 2 or 3. It was, for many, a change in leadership, a change in people, a change in an ability where there was no playbook for many. They didn't have a playbook. But when you're responsible and accountable for millions of dollars, okay, and stakeholders and shareholders, and you've got you've got governance 
rules and regulations. And you know how strict financial institutions are when it comes to compliance, financial reporting, financial management, and regulations. Okay. Then, and, and people are at the center of everything you do, not technology. Look, technology can do many things. AI, new technologies, intelligent technologies are being used in some respects to try and to try and understand what the trust gaps are, but they're not going to get anywhere close. I see AI taking over in many organizations for mundane tasks, but I don't see super intellectual decision-making processes within large institutions, companies, actually for that matter, even at home where leadership's required, technology is not the answer. Um, I'll give you another human-to-human human example. Have you ever tried to resolve an argument or resolve an issue with your wife on a text message? You know, it's not going to happen. It's always right? a huge mistake to try that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a huge mistake because at the, at the least you need to speak human-to-human, human, but face-to-face -face has a completely different response. So the CEO's role now, I've got, and I built a CEO roadmap many years ago for the very saying this is the accountability responsibility and role of a ceo but that has dramatically changed now dramatically changed because the role in the last two years has redefined the way leadership needs to act more importantly execute with others and people are an incredibly important component in you know in, now, how do you think that has changed so dramatically in the last couple of years? Because I think that the traits of great leadership have been pretty consistent over time. You can go back and read ancient religious texts, pick a religion, and the leaders of those different texts all embodied very similar traits. Many of those traits, I think, are missing from a lot of our leadership right now. You mentioned empathy. You mentioned truly caring for the people that you're leading. But away from those points, what, what has changed in the last two years that leaders of even your house or a business or a, any kind of organization, what's changed in the last two years they need to get ahead of or get up to speed with? Look, if we start looking, I mean, we, we at IBM, we, we did a piece, we did the trust report and no big surprise because uh, the Elderman Barometer trust report mirrored exactly what our thinking was. 69% of all employees stated within um, the uh, report, which was gathered by Datapad, stated they did not trust their line manager or their CEO. So what do we have to do? CEOs have, have had, the, the ones that are smart and super intelligent, have had to go back, back to some basics. So what is the trust definition that I'm describing? Well, first and foremost, you know, you've got to have self-trust. You know, I think that's an incredibly important component. The relationship trust has increased. You know, we talked about intelligences and, and I want to talk about the relationship, but I want to talk about the intelligences around the relationship because I think that has an incredibly important definition. So number one, you know, number one, we all know about EI and everyone's saying during COVID, EI is so important and, and we need EI. And, and we need an EI leader because we need a leader to be able to communicate, express and communicate more effectively within the organization. And that's away from IQ, which theoretically, a lot, you know, a lot of leaders have IQ. They shut the door and they sit with the spreadsheet and they don't want to talk to anyone. Right? When you say okay. EI, you're meaning emotional intelligence, correct? Absolutely. Sorry, I, 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 let me rephrase that. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, you know, combined with IQ was always was always a desire for a leader because you get academic and the ability to communicate and you put the two together you've got a very interesting you know mix of skills but then you had spiritual intelligence which came up you uh duke's university in um in the states talks about decency intelligence which is a, a different set of values which a leader needs to possess in order to actually fulfill more deeper meaning and purpose within the organization i then decided to write because gen z you know was all about super smart super fast super intelligent but they didn't have wisdom so i wrote um, a little while ago about wisdom intelligence but then after wisdom intelligence i realized that actually it's not 
any single one of the, you can't park those intelligences into silos because they're all integrated. And if you integrate all of the value systems, the emotional intelligence, the IQ, the spiritual intelligence, the DC intelligence, and the wisdom intelligence, actually what you need as the umbrella, okay, is trust intelligence. Because trust is the glue and the bond that brings all of this together under one canvas. It's a bit like innovation design thinking. We do a lot of that, right, in my role. And, and out of that comes a culture canvas. But it's very little point if you haven't got trust at the very center of what that DNA should really look like. A trust DNA is the strategic DNA of the whole organization. Because the great, look at, look at the examples where it's gone wrong, the great resign. Now, forget the great resign. That's a great buzzword as far as I'm concerned right now. You're going to have bigger issues if I think trust is we're in a trust decade now. And if you do not adopt a trust intelligence mentality and lead at a board level and at an organizational level and actually at home, you're going to lose your greatest relationships. You're going to lose your peers. You're going to lose productivity. I mean, I read a report that in the US business alone, mistrust within organizations has a cost somewhere around 452 billion a year. Now, please don't ask me to define the metrics around that. But that was the report that I've seen. And it's not on its own. There's several research papers that are available that discuss that. Now, that is a huge number. And I can only say, Brent, that that number is going to increase tenfold if you don't start to adopt frameworks. Because what is a trust framework? If you get it right, it's increased value. It's accelerated growth, enhanced innovation, improved collaboration. It's strong partnering, better execution, but most importantly, heightened loyalty to actually drive better performance. And that's How not do just, you establish that framework, though? Right. Well, that framework, you know, so so this is really interesting. So, you know, in organizations, we talk about KPIs. You, you might have remembered years ago, remember Google had a 20% KPI that said, we want you to innovate. We just want you to go into the lounge, have a cup of coffee, grab some people and start thinking about innovation. Not an idea. We want you to create great ideas because the future of this organization is dependent upon it. Now, I know they scrapped the 20% KPI, right? I know they did that, unfortunately, right? It is very uh, unfortunate they scrapped that. But I think this is all coming back. So I think that the soft skills that you see in some KPIs, you know, effectively kind of operational objectives, right, that we, we talk about, are going to come back into the forefront. Increased collaboration. It's not command and control by leadership. It's the guy at the back of the room that's got something really important to say. It's inclusion. We've got to bring inclusion, right, back to organizational collaboration benefit because it's not the middle manager or the senior manager or the director that's going to take credit for somebody else's work. It's identifying the people within the organization that need to be heard. And it's more collaboration. But in order to do that, they've got to be in a safe environment that they trust. Do you see, though, and when I look out across the landscape, not so much with small organizations, they're pretty nimble, but larger organizations, institutions, if anything, have become much more heavy handed. So that that freedom for the people to maybe put their hand up and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I may not agree with the prevailing thought here. They're getting stomped, those people in large organizations. Is, is, is you see any change to that trend or will, will they be able to turn this back so they can regain that trust? I saw, I don't know if you ever read the Weatherall Trust Report. No. They, um, Bruce Weatherall interviewed 169 banks around the world and their customers. And fundamentally, guess what the problem was? Nobody trusted the institution. Nobody trusted. So where, where in, if you go back in history, you know, you don't, you know, grassroots level, 
you'd open a bank with say wells fargo that's a bad example jpm or whoever right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so i thought i'd bring some humor to this when, when a name elicits a, a laughing response usually <laughs> yeah. not a, usually not good for the name that's that's been uttered but yeah but so so when he did that report you know years ago you would you'd go to your bank and banks were selling multiple products to multiple customers because everybody trusted the institution so 15 20 years ago we suddenly got something called fintech and fintech was all about they didn't have necessarily the inst- the global institutional reach but what they did have is innovation so you 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 then saw it institutions like hsbc or barclays create their own venture division to try and bring some of these companies on board to try and bring in innovation to the organization that could help bring heightened loyalty to their proposition. It's not working. It's not working. These Goliaths. Now, the only, the only institution that I've, that I've seen, which is con- consistent. Well, there's two now. JPM invest on average $1.6 billion a year in, in trying to increase trust and increase loyalty with new innovation, multiple new products, and driving better performance. And by the way, they're succeeding. Goldman is behind them because Goldman saw have seen what JPM are doing um, as a Goliath and wanting wanting a part of that action because that is driving better better incremental performance and selling multitude of products. But you have got you know many institutions that haven't woken up yet. Because it's too hard to change. It's 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 the Goliath, it's the it's the white elephant in the room. There's no Darwinism. So you haven't got the adaptable to change. Um, I'll give some of the institutions better, the customer services are getting better, but but then we're seeing it in Europe particularly. How can you Barclays Bank is a good example? So Barclays Bank has has kept the branch network because they believe in our customers need local access and global reach, right? So you have a problem. It doesn't matter where your account did reside because right now it's in the cloud. So right now you're going to go into local branch. What did HSBC do? They they basically closed all their branch network and they're thinking technology is the future to deal with this. No, it's not because technology doesn't solve all the problems because humans are not at the center. Our, our, Our risk diagnostic says this. Our data on analytics says this. That's the decision with no there's no two way interaction to be able to understand the financial needs and requirements. When I was at Citibank in the old days, we wouldn't do commercial lending with millions of dollars for any any company unless we'd actually spent time with the people, with the management team and in a data room understanding the business now they're, they're trying to do everything by analytics this right. is where it goes wrong you, you're missing the relationship and that human to human relationship that i talked to you about is is absolutely the glue for success now if companies want to pivot fine but they're not going to pivot without trust so everything i talk to you about from incremental value to height and loyalty is a framework it's a it's it's a trust genesis that companies are going to need to adapt or integrate to their proposition big me sorry uh, small medium or large or you're going to lose your people you're going to lose your people because the gen z's that are coming out want more they desire more there's they're all about learning and developing now i i believe that in 10 years time Humans are going to be incredibly important, but they won't be important unless we concentrate on learning and development. And by the way, that is a commitment from institutions to their people that they're I, I going to with. they're yeah, going to I, take them on learning and development. Right? They're going to expand their mindsets because mindset and attitude creates happiness. Let's let's not get away from that. Right? People think happiness is you know your love at home. No, 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 no. No, no. Self. Once you get to self acceptance, you can create happiness. But happiness is also being able to achieve me- short term, medium term, long term goals. The future of employment, the future of life and employment, is all going to be about intellectual capacity and the ability to grow. And these Gen Zs, we should be looking at these Gen Zs and say, what do we need to do to design around these people? These people are our future. 
Well, you said something that I that I thoroughly, thoroughly believe in. I think that if you look at what is a skill that is going to be most important in the next 5, 10, 20 years, what technology has allowed us to do is obviously allowed us to leverage out or outsource uh, a lot of these more mundane tasks. And it becomes you know freeing up people to do what they're good at, which is actually dealing directly with other people. And so it's for me, when I look at, at this technology, how it's going to be rolled out in the future, I get incredibly optimistic because if I can... If I can take you know large chunks of the things that might be a little bit more tedious for me to do, offshoot that or offload that onto some sort of a tech platform, and then deal with what's important, you know, having conversations like this either virtually or in person, I mean that's where the value add is. And and I think moving forward, along with your, with your trust points that you're making, if we can use technology not as a vehicle to separate us but allow us to have more intimate connections, then the future the future couldn't possibly be brighter. It's but we're at a big inflection point here. I do. And I think there's another point which I'd like to add. And I think it's incredibly important. Look, company directors, there's there's a lot more pressure on company directors to get things right. So you've got world events, you've got war, geopolitical, you've got legal, you've got economic change, you've got an acceleration in technology. And there is pressure on the board to make that happen right but at the center of all of this if you break it down what i'm really describing to you is that risk management risk conduct you know risk compliance end of the day it's about everybody every organization and actually this this actually goes for government business and at home it's about resiliency you've got to create resiliency right if you're going to navigate the changes that we've just touched on here right? You've got to create a, an environment, an organization that can be resilient to go through the next COVID or to go through the next geopolitical situation or the next regulatory change that's going to take place. Now, I believe that a resilient and trusted team, you know, is, is critical for the next 10 years. That again, leadership has got to step up to these challenges. The, you know, this is not a buzzword. This is reality that there are, there is a tsunami of changes. When, when I wrote the purposeful discussion, I talked about the fourth industrial revolution, but I talked about a tsunami coming towards us. I didn't know when I wrote that five years ago that COVID was coming towards us, but I knew something was coming towards us because the fourth industrial revolution was a real game changer for everyone, how we behave how we share with others, our value systems. It challenged everything. So don't think the next 10 years are not going to be even more challenging. This is That wasn't a blip. We're not going to go back to the way we were because change is constant. Do you have any, what do you view as being the next big change coming in terms of what you see on the horizon? So I honestly believe that we are looking at quantum supreme, at another level, um, look, we've got space travel on the agenda. People are going to the space and telecommunications and products and services through through um, satellite. We've got massive. I know we were going to talk about ESG, but we have got huge ESG problems because boards boards of directors don't have the relevant composition of skills necessarily on the board to tackle some of these big issues as a responsible organization or institution to actually deal with ESG. And then you've got CSR. Look, we've got to do more. Globalization's in here, right? Globalization. What are we doing about globalization? What we, we're not even touching the surface. And we, we, are, we are so far away from globalization as a direct result of, of the Ukraine-Russian situation now, pushing it the agenda further and further. Yeah, we've got we've got a massive divide. We've got we've got a real gender and balance issue between gender, diversity, equality, and and emerging markets, where you've got significant poverty at one side, and you've got other people uh, making the billions, and and you've got someone in the middle trying to make the way it's going to work and then you've got an ethical agenda because because you know we're trying to we're trying to deal with you know the ethics the ethical the anti-bribery acts 
corruption issues that you've got at government level, business level, etc. We're trying to address those issues. But there's no conformity. There's no, you know, and, and look, the World Economic Forum at Davos is, is superb and, and they have superb speakers and they talk a, a lot about these subjects and they talk about the future and what the future means, right? I saw a CBI report only recently about uh, released on, on what the UK needs to do to drive better growth to 2050. But it's it's not enough. You know, the, the, the governments need to wake up that and, and the businesses are, are having a lot of a lot of uh, businesses both small medium and obviously large corporates it's about yeah i mean look the, the entrepreneurial uh scene for business is where a growth can, can actually make a big difference and csr can be made a difference they seem to be adopting a lot of these philosophies quicker faster better but it's not enough. It's it's just it's individual islands, and we're not working together to deal and tackle these these issues, which, as far as I'm concerned, are only going to get only going to explode and get bigger. Climate change. Let, let, get bigger. let me ask you this, and uh, it, it's a little bit of diversion from our from our topic that we've been on. Sure. You spent a lot of time working in Russia. You lived there for quite a, for quite some time. I lived there. That's correct. Yeah. Um, coming into the winter now, obviously, we're seeing what's happening with energy prices in Europe and everything else. Yeah. What I thought would be a relatively quick—I'll just come out and say it—a relatively quick victory for Russia is now proven to what I'm going to say this to, and this might annoy some people, is going to take longer for them. I do think they're ultimately going to prevail. But uh, in the meantime, I'm really concerned by the impacts. And you talk about trust. If I am a French citizen and I have Macron telling me that you're going to be cold this winter and have no lights on because we've got to take care of Ukraine and and copy that across every major country in Europe. And now into the developing world that a billion people have food scarcity now coming into the next year. What do you think is because to me, this has become the big issue because you got energy and you got food tied up in this war in a huge way somewhat of a diversion but you've got way more experience in that part of the world than i do what do you think is going to happen with this thing but when you start looking at what is the basis of an economy and and i remember many many years ago working with a we were supporting an organization that was going into some of these third world countries and and um and it was kind of touching on some of the things that the the, the gates foundation do. so if you look at a basis of economy what are we looking at education agriculture you know you've got to have oil and gas you've got to have you know that, that you can't even think about an economy unless you can deal with you know education food and agriculture um and electricity and power because these are these are the prime functions and we're going back to some large basics but and equally you can't pivot and accelerate at uh, the speed that we've been describing about talking about technological change and talking about AI, quantum supreme, you know, and it's great. It's a great, everyone talking about, oh, we've got this great innovation. If we're leaving everything else behind, right? Because what you're saying is if you can't actually deliver the basics, now what we're seeing, so we saw in COVID, the start of supply, third party supply chain issues, right? Now it's even worse. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how in the US, how bad it is in in sort of food, agriculture, trying to, and then technology and even basic products, trying to get basic products through. But there is a shortage. They're just not getting through, right? Number one. Number two, we start looking at we, uh, the news report I had recently was that restaurants would have to close because they couldn't afford to keep the lights on. So what does that mean? Everybody's got to put their prices up significantly, by the way, which they already have. Right. So right. supermarkets have averagely put up prices by 20 percent. So that means, you know, that means small, medium enterprise business needs to actually do a, uh, a reiteration around uh, their pricing structure. So everyone's going to have to put their prices up, which means what's going to happen if you don't put your prices up? You're going to end up bankrupt or significantly because if you're running on thin margins, which a lot of people are running on thin margins, mass adoption. What are you going to do? Mass adoption is going to withdraw or reduce. So therefore, you're not going to get the margin. So therefore, you can't continue. And you can't keep going back to investors and shareholders and saying, oh, I'm sorry, but we've had to reduce our prices. That's not the answer. The answer is when are you going to break even? When are you driving better better profitability? Right. So this has a global effect. 
right? Global effect and and energy. Look, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that the, the energy you know, we, the energy situation in Russia alone is 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 uh, unsurmountable. I mean, I think that we can buy energy from around the world. You know, we can we can tap into Canada as an example. We can tap into Qatar with LNG, and there are there are storage hubs around the world. You know, there are. So I, I feel very strongly that that the energy uh, situation and the crisis that we've got can be resolved. But it, it, it's it's at what extremity that it's going to be resolved and what cost to global business. And and also, I go back to the word globalization. Sorry, but, you know, the, the poor are just going to get poorer here. Right, right. And the rich are just going to get richer. And the middle band that I describe, and it doesn't matter what emerging market you go to, there is always the lower level of poverty, the most extreme part of 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 um, money, and there's this middle band. China's got it, um, Russia's got it, it. You know, you know, South America's got it. It doesn't matter where where you look at this moment in time, globally or internationally. This is going to be a continual issue, and it's where governments. You know, we we have governments are very good at talking about the future and about talking getting trying to get votes and trying to make things happen no this is has this this has got to change this has got to be about execution okay they've got to you know you've, you've got to start looking after your people and absolutely the, you know i'm saying to say that the good ideas good people are going to lose their homes they're going to lose their businesses unless government starts to wake up to all of the issues that we're trying to address right now. And by the way, that list is just getting longer. Yeah, and, and I do believe, I think, that eventually in a, in free societies, which which Western Europe and, and America for sure are, people reach a point where they start paying attention and right. they start paying attention to a lot of these issues. I think the reason your book right now is so important is because when you look at where these changes can be made, I'm, I'm a firm believer that first, I, tell, I have this rule for myself, I focus on what I can control and I try to be the absolute best person that I can be in the realm that I can control, take care of the people that I can take care of. Then hopefully that creates a domino effect and it, it works upward from there. And I try not too much to be concerned about those things that I can't control. And, and I think you're starting to see in my conversations with people, they're doing the same thing. They're, if anything, the last couple of years has given us all the opportunity to take a deep dive and take a close look at ourselves and look at areas that we can improve, areas that we can be better, where we can treat our employees better, our families better. And, um, you know, I, for one, I'm, I'm really excited about your book. Is October 28th, is that the launch date? Uh, the launch date is October 28th, yeah, and it's available on pre-order now, but it will be in Barnes & Noble. But I'm very happy about it. We've got soft soft copy, hard copy, Kindle, and audio book, because I think audio is really important now, like podcasts. Yes. In exactly the same way that people need to listen but we are so excited about the book i i can't tell you the excitement and we're going to be doing um mark mark and i um will be doing thought leadership events in london on the first week of november um and to to select audiences for the official launch of the book but yeah the, the we we've been debating the book this particular book believe it or not for 10 years and the reason why i think now <laughs> Why now? I think why now is because trust is is really being trust. I like to say trust and understanding is just is just falling away um, at the rate of knots, and nobody trusts anyone anymore. And you know, look, there's no blame here. It, this is a societal issue, right? At home, what what can happen? Well, I think value systems can be there. You can start having dinner with your family and and bonding better and communicate, not not via text or via Facebook, because it's a technology platform that everybody can share. And I've I've shared to my family. No, you haven't. I mean, uh, you haven't. You've got to spend more human to human time. And and I know with the speed of life and the speed of of family life and every and everything we touch with our friends, our siblings, our, our grandparents. Look, it's the important things that matter. You know, like in a in a relationship, you you still got to write personal notes, Absolutely. no, not, not text. You you still got to send flowers, right? And and Valentine's isn't one day a year. 
Actually, I think it's every day. <laughs> right? So, so look, like you need, and, and I think what we're going to get to with this, and the reason why I'm mentioning this is because we're moving to a more, I think we're going to be moving to a more committed society as a direct result of some of these issues that we've touched on today. And I think that where we don't, relationships are going to fall apart. Now, if we look at the statistics of divorce, I don't really want to talk about this, but I need to because I think the statistics of divorce during COVID has been immense. Yeah. And I think that that's a demonstration of if something wasn't slightly working, it was destroyed. So trust is on the agenda more now. And that's why it's important we release this book and we release this to the world now is because people need to start embarking and engaging with better trust, better understanding. If you start looking at a process, and we developed a process, me and Mark, together, which sort of said, well, what creates that trust? Well, number one, effective listening. If you're not prepared to listen to government, if you're not prepared to listen to your peers at work or to your directors or the board of directors, big problem. And at home, you then not listen. You've got to listen, right? And you've got to listen effectively to get to a level of understanding. So when you can understand, you start to build a bond, but then only when you can understand can you actually communicate. And what you communicate is an, it has an outcome or of a behavior, of an actionable result, something tangible, which I would like to say is trust because it's based on an outcome and experience. Now, we're falling down because you normally, when you're in a meeting with somebody, as soon as you're speaking, they're thinking about the answers, like going into a doctor's office, right? As soon as you walk in, they're writing the prescription. <laughs> yeah, right? very true. In, using that as an analogy, we can't do that. And, and you know, you may have read the book um, In the Praise of Slow. Um, I, again, yeah, I have not, but... He, he's, he's an ex-investment banker that said, look, we don't need to do 100 things. I can prove to you that if you were to do 10 things really well, you're going to penetrate better output, better outcome. So why are we trying to deal with 200 messages a day on WhatsApp, Telegram, Signal, Facebook, or whatever we form we're using as a collaboration tool? Why, why you know, if you're in a meeting focused, in a meeting with somebody, you're not going to have 200 people in that room speaking to you at the same time, simultaneously. You've got to focus. Where it's going wrong is where we're not focusing on the priorities. We're not sharing true family values, business values, and government are not displaying themselves in a way that businesses or societal respect. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is developing a much stronger bond. The reason why we want this book out to the world, we want to create a difference. We want to have greatness with, with what we're talking about, with the frameworks, with the tools, with the actual methodology of, of thinking. But a lot of this is around mindset and attitude to create the belief system to create actually something that's consistent because there's nothing really consistent in our life today. But if we can create trust, we can create a bond, we can create consistency, and we can create a movement of, of slowly but surely, you know, a trusted environment that people can actually be more open. They can be more authentic. They can be transparent. They're not afraid to speak out. I said earlier about the, the person at the back of the room has got something important to say. Well, they put their hand up, bring them in, allow them to be in a safer environment where they feel trusted and they feel they're empowered to speak and behave and work work to a Pacific philosophy. Because if you're all working towards that Pacific philosophy, we're going to create some greatness in this world. And right now, we absolutely need it. We do. And, and Jeff, I, thank you so much for coming on and and talking to me about this topic, because again, I think it's hugely important. And and my takeaway from our conversation today is, you know what, that the next conversation that I have, I try to do this anyway, but I really, I really am feeling this right now. I want to make sure that that person gets 100% of my attention and that's, and that you carry that into, in, into my evening and then my next day and everything else, because you're, it is that one-on-one -on -one 
that one-on-one interaction that builds that trust. And I can't wait to read your book. And I'm just <laughs> really grateful you took some time out of your day to join me and talk yeah, about no, this. I'd just like to leave you with a passage from my my fifth book, which yeah. is uh, Purposeful Discussions. And I, I just like, I, I know it'll resonate and it's only a short passage. So I'd like to I'd like to share this with you. All in all, as you know, trust is a huge issue with the online presence and the impact of technology on human interaction, which paints, paints effectively a pretty gloomy picture. But it's a valuable discussion to have as it teaches us the value of balancing our offline and online communications with others. Personally and professionally, I guess the best approach is to make yourself available through technology only when appropriate so that it supplements relationships rather than replacing them. I love that. <laughs> that is fantastic and is the perfect way to end our discussion. But I, I love that. And uh, thank, thank you so much for, for joining us and for sharing that. And I, I can't wait to read your book. I'm excited about it. Brent, I've really enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a, great, a, great, a great pleasure to be here with you and to obviously share with you uh, some of the sentiment and, of course, to talk about the book. Absolutely. Jeff, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad that you were on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I have two words for you, sir. Pura Vida. My friend, I know that you're down in Costa Rica and uh, I do enjoy Costa Rica. I haven't been there in quite a while. There's just one more reason for me to go back down and visit. Uh, Brent, of course, thank you. We would not be here without you and your leadership in this podcast. Thank you so much for bringing him on the show. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Yes, Brent, as a as a senior executive, obviously, um, and I on on the board of directors of of several companies i'd just like to remind everybody um on on the uh on the interview today that these are the personal opinions um and sentiment of jeff hudson Searle, and not of the companies any of the companies that i represent thank you